Halloween Ends Alternate Ending, Tales from the Crypt Rights Issues, and Video Game Performers Set to Join the SAG After Strike, all on this Friday edition of Spill the Guts. Welcome. My name is Clint, and I am one half of the I Like It Spooky Horror podcast, which, amongst its offering of a minimum of 18 free installments a month, includes a featured news, reviews, interviews, and entertainment show every other week. And a new feature episode of our flagship show is set to release this coming Sunday. Stick around to the end of this Horror News Blitz roundup to learn what the episode has in store for you as we kick off the glorious month of October. But as for now, today is Friday, September 29th, and this just in. All of today's stories cosmically, okay, perhaps by design, are themed as each story can be tied to a previous feature episode of the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast. And first up is from CBR.com, who reports that the Halloween Ends novel makes a significant change to the finale of the film. One of the things fans wanted to see in Halloween Ends was a conclusion to the rivalry between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. Many were interested because this film marked the end of an era, leaving them thinking the shape of evil would kill Laurie. Clues were dropped in previous movies in this timeline, and make no mistake, Halloween Ends faked viewers out by teasing it big time. But the flick, despite so many deaths, did have a happy ending, depending on how you look at it with Laurie and Haddonfield grinding Michael to mulch. It gave Laurie a new beginning as she set out to write her memoirs and gain closure. However, the novelization went under the radar, especially regarding one major change that confirmed Michael had a lasting effect on Laurie physically. In the new Halloween trilogy, Michael's supernatural presence was played up a lot. He drove people to violence, especially the townsfolk. It came full circle in Halloween Ends with Corey becoming influenced by Michael. Corey used Michael to kill and even become a slasher as he tried to become a notorious serial killer himself. It was a tale of two monsters, but Michael reclaimed his power at the end, turned on Corey, and tried to reassert himself as the true villain. After Corey died and Laurie and company killed Michael, The film left Laurie in her home, flirting with Deputy Hawkins, before going back inside. But Michael's mask was on the table. Many wondered if Laurie was affected by it, but it did seem like it was just a keepsake. She looked like she was guarding the souvenir so no one could misappropriate it again. Seemingly happy, Laurie was ready to close this chapter of her life at last, playing on the final girl trope. The book, though, paints a different finale, with Laurie being more aloof and shooing Hawkins away. She doesn't have time for romance, which leaves Hawkins worried. He observes Laurie through the window, spying in from his truck. He sees a mysterious shape behind her, with Laurie then reverting to the shadows. Hawkins becomes petrified, thinking she was either depressed or angry. The tone of the narrative and the breathing heard inside confirm that Michael has taken her as his vessel. The now-possessed Lori wanted Hawkins gone so she could spend time with the mask. 
The novel ends there, tonally different and with Lori in a totally different headspace. I will include a link to the CBR.com article, which goes on to further discuss the topic on the I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast Facebook page, as well as a link to the past feature episode where we share our take on the film version of Halloween Ends. I didn't even know there was a novel. <laughs> Hello, kitties. It's your old pal, John Cusier, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. Welcome to the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. What you just heard was our old pal the Crypt Keeper announcing the opening of a past feature episode where we discussed different installments of the Tales from the Crypt television series. Make sure to scroll back through our episodes and give it a listen. In a recent article from BloodyDisgusting.com, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, explains why the wisecracking corpse has been sealed in his tomb for so long. During a recent panel at Terracon in Marlboro, Massachusetts, John Kassir shared his perspective on Tales from the Crypt's complicated rights issues that halted TNT and M. Night Shyamalan's reboot attempt in 2016 and continue to prohibit new iterations of the beloved horror anthology series. Obviously, Tales from the Crypt was a comic book, and those rights were granted to the producers of the show back in the late 80s. This was all working out great for us, but after you do 93 episodes and movies and all of that other stuff over a period of time, the rights lapse. Sadly, EC Comics publisher William Gaines passed away. He did amazing things, and we loved him, and he would grant us the rights tomorrow. But the rights reverted to the family, who probably gave them to a lawyer, who probably doesn't work in the industry. EC did grant the rights to TNT, who were going to do a whole block of horror with M. Night Shyamalan, and the Crypt Keeper was going to be the host, but the producers of the original television series own the rights to the Crypt Keeper that we have all come to know and love, so that went down the tube. I think they were even trying to sell the rights to more than one person, which nobody wanted. Shyamalan last commented on the aborted revival in 2018, quote, We tried everything that we could. But that was so mirrored in people that had rights to it, constantly mirrored from the original comic books to the people who did the original show, and that was a very contentious era for that show, and who was involved, and all of the stuff that had nothing to do with me, a generation before me. I begged them, please just give me the rights, we'll do it this way, you're going to be really happy, but it didn't work out that way. As for now, it sounds like the Keeper will remain sealed in his crypt. And it's time that we pause for station identification to hear from a bunch of ghouls who broke out of the crypt, our podcast network, the PFPN. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.
Last story of the day comes to us from Polygon.com and ties in with another recent feature episode where co-host Brian and I discussed the supernatural found footage horror film Grave Encounters. In that episode, before we inspected the footage, we discussed at length the, at the time, beginning of the SAG-AFTRA strike. Since that time, the Writers Guild strike has recently concluded, but the Actors Guild are still on the picket lines, protesting for higher residuals and restrictions of artificial intelligence in the entertainment industry. Now, according to Polygon.com, video game performers are set to go on strike as well. On October 21st of 2016, video game performers went on strike against 11 video game companies, including Activision, Disney, Electronic Arts, Insomniac Games, Take-Two Interactive, and WB Games. Video game performers who were part of the Screen Actors Guild American Foundation of Television and Radio Artists, SAG-AFTRA, stopped working for nearly a year from October 2016 to November of 2017, the longest strike in SAG-AFTRA's history. After roughly 340 days, video game performers reached an agreement with the group of video game companies addressing concerns over pay, transparency, and vocal stress. The three-year agreement was expected to expire in 2020, but the contract was extended twice, to 2022, then once again to 2023. After six years, SAG-AFTRA members and at least 10 video game companies are heading back to the bargaining table once again, and starting negotiations with a strike authorization in its hands. SAG-AFTRA said on September 1st, when its national board voted to authorize the strike vote, that the video game companies haven't addressed issues about wages keeping up with inflation, nor have they introduced protections against AI use. A strike authorization vote doesn't mean that the video game performers are definitely going to go on strike again. Instead, it signals to the group of video game companies negotiating with SAG-AFTRA that the union members are serious about getting a fair contract, so serious that they're willing to withhold their labor for it if need be. It was announced yesterday, Thursday, September 28th on SAGAFTRA.org that SAG-AFTRA and video game employers concluded scheduled negotiations for the interactive media agreement. No deal was reached, and the current agreement will remain in effect while the parties make final efforts to reach a deal. And that is a wrap on another week of news. I hope you've enjoyed our stroll down the memory lane of past feature episodes, and want to remind you that in addition to connecting with the I Like It Spooky Horror podcast on all mainstream social media platforms, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, go back and listen to any of the earlier mentioned installments, and then be sure to kick off October with us this coming Sunday as a new feature episode releases where we discuss the highly influential 1960 Christopher Lee classic, Horror Hotel. And once you're done listening to that, join me back here this coming Monday for more news on another edition of Spill the Guts. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?